The first idea that Jesus speaks about today is the idea of being the salt of the earth. Now, that's a, a phrase that you uh, might have heard people say before. He's a real salt of the earth kind of guy or girl. Usually we mean it's someone who's just kind of a larrikin or a sort of, you know, lives in a sort of subsistence kind of way. It's a sort of phrase that we don't really know what it means, but we say it and we go, yes, he's a salt of the earth kind of guy. When Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, though, uh, some 2,000 years ago, straight away, Jesus' audience would have known what that meant. Salt was a key part of uh, life for people in first century Palestine, and it had many significant or symbols that they were aware of. Today, I'm just going to talk to you about some of those, because uh, I think they help us understand what Jesus means when he says, you are the salt of the earth. The first one I want to talk to you about is you might be aware of that when God's people had to offer sacrifices to uh, him in the Old Testament setup, sometimes they would offer grain. And there was a commandment that when they offered grain, they were to sprinkle their grain offering with salt. And they were told that that was a sign of God's covenant, God's faithfulness. So salt, when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth to his followers, they would have thought that he meant, you are my faithful people. You are the faithful people of this earth. So that would be the first idea that I think popped into their mind. And we saw last week or the week before that it's the humble who inherit the earth. And so Jesus is telling his followers that if you are my faithful people, my humble faithful people, you will inherit the earth. The second thing that salt's used for is as a preservative. And I've tried to replicate that here. I've made myself a first century fridge. Now this is, I went down to the butchers yesterday and I got myself a minute steak and I have placed it in this container of salt uh, overnight. I re-salted it this morning because in the ancient world, salt was how you preserved meat, uh, those kinds of things. And um, I think this is right, science people can correct me, it's osmotic pressure. Is that what preserves, I'm getting a nod from Mrs. Foster, is that right? Good. Osmotic pressure. So in here is a piece of meat. Yum, look at that. Now what's happened with this piece of meat? It was quite a lot thicker when I bought it yesterday. But what's happened is the salt that's been I've encrusted the meat in has drawn all the moisture. Mm. <laughs> has drawn all the moisture out of this meat. And now it's quite in my hand, it's quite hard. I won't get you to touch it because. That's gross. Uh, so, but this was how people would preserve meat. So they could salt this meat, and I'm not talking 2,000 years ago. People were doing this, you know, this century or last century have been doing that to preserve their meat, especially in cooler climates. Now I'm going to, I'm doing this same talk in the junior school on Friday. I'm going to use the same piece of meat. I'm going to keep salting it. Hopefully, it will stay preserved. But when Jesus said to his followers, "You are the salt of the earth," they would have thought. You mean we're his faithful, your faithful people, but also we are the preserved people, if you like. So Jesus is trying to tell these people here that you need to preserve God's ways on this earth. You need to stand out and be distinct. And I think that's the last thing they would have thought of with salt. Because, Harry, you put salt on your food sometimes. Why do we put salt on our food? make it taste better? Yes, to make it taste better. It draws out the flavour, doesn't it? It's distinct. It, 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 my, my dad used to make casserole and famously he would just be sitting there 
stirring it and sipping it, and he's always just saying, needs more salt, needs more salt. And you would do that to draw out the flavour. God's people are supposed to be distinct and different, flavoursome, noticeable. You go, oh, that person follows God. You've got to see and know. Uh, that's what Jesus is trying to say. And you might have noticed that Jesus said, if you take the saltiness away, it loses its saltiness or loses its taste, then it is worthless. Now, that word for tastelessness is also the same word for foolishness. It's where we get our word moron from. So it's a morano, or mo, morano which where we get the word moron from. So Jesus is saying, if you stop following the ways of this upside-down kingdom, then it's foolish. It's moronic, he says. And particularly Jesus also, well, not also in the New Testament, there's another passage where Paul tells people that Jesus' followers are to season their conversation with salt. The way they speak should be salty. Now, when we say, oh, he's a bit salty, we usually mean he's a bit, you know, going to have a sharp tongue or a bit cranky. But Jesus' idea of saltiness was that your uh, speech should be so distinct and noticeable that people stop and listen and pay attention to you and think you are talking about something very different to the way of the world. And that's to do with the last image that Jesus talked about when he talked about light. I'll read it to you again. Verse 14, Jesus said, You are the light of the world, and a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And then it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Light is a symbol that we use for things like knowledge and understanding and wisdom, doing right. We talk about being enlightened to something. If you're an enlightened person, you understand how to live. And so Jesus, when he tells his followers to be the salt of the earth, he's saying, here on earth you must be my enlightened people for the world. You must take this message of this upside-down kingdom to the world. Elsewhere, Jesus' close friend Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 uh, that we should have such good deeds that people will see those deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. People should know that Christians are Christians by the way that they live. So the good deeds they do actually confirm and explain what you believe about God, and so he is glorified. But of course, if that light is concealed and no one sees it, well, then no one knows. No one can hear your salty speech. No one can see that you are the faithful, part of the faithful people of God. No one can see that you are trying to preserve this earth through living in the upside-down kingdom. In fact, up here on the stage, on the bleachers, sorry, I've had a light that's been on all morning in this box that uh, Mr Dawson has lent me from the ag shed. But none of us knew about it because it was concealed. That's why Jesus says it's foolishness to light a lamp and then put it under a bushel or a basket. That's been on the whole time. And none of us knew because it's being concealed. And so my challenge to those of us here at track who claim 
the name of Jesus, who maybe on a Sunday morning uh, are at church with their family, but here, Monday to Friday, it's like you're living in that box. My challenge to you is to be the light on the hill. That's what Jesus calls his followers to be. You should be known and observed, visible. And part of the way that I'm going to help that happen here this year is track work, which you might have known is a little Christian group that meets on a lunchtime, Thursday lunchtime. We've met for the last few years in the library, which is not a box, but it's somewhat concealed. And we've been kind of hidden. Uh, And we're going to come out into the playground. So tomorrow... Uh, At lunchtime, we'll be out in the playground. You'll see us out there with a a trolley full of zoopadoopers. And I'm going to be handing out zoopadoopers to people. And all I ask for you in return is that you answer a simple question for us. We're going to have a a pin board with a simple question. The question is going to be, is Christianity helpful or harmful? And all you have to do is take a pin and put it on one side of the board. Maybe you want to stick around and have a chat about that. But we're going to be there every Thursday, outside with a question of some kind like that. Won't offer you either a zoopadoopa or a cup of cordial or something like that uh, to share the light of the good news of the kingdom of God. So my challenge to those of you who would like to do that, to come and say hello, is that's a pretty non-threatening way to do something. You get something to eat or drink out of it as well. But it's a great opportunity for us to shine the light in the darkness of this world. So can I encourage you to come and join us? So as we continue to think about living in this upside-down kingdom, I want you to remember who Jesus was speaking to at the time. He was speaking to people who were living in an oppressed lifestyle under the Roman Empire, who had been mourning for centuries, thinking their God had forgotten them. And yet he comes and says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. To people who didn't feel like that at all, he tells them that, in fact, there is going to be hope for you to be these things. And it's not going to be something they're going to have to must within themselves. not going to try and find saltiness or light in themselves. In fact, they're going to see from just a few short months after Jesus uh, giving this speech that Jesus on a day that was very, very dark, when it went dark in the middle of the day, when the world was shrouded in darkness, well, he was the true light of the world up on that cross. As he hung on that cross for our sin and death, for our darkness, for the things that cause us to mourn, He was hanging on that cross knowing that he would die in our place, rise to new life, so that the true light of the world could shine. 